pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that the word did indeed become flesh and dwell among us. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus Christ truly is God. And Father, we pray this morning as we look at your word that our hearts would be receptive to hear from you. Lord, be with our kids right now as they're being ministered to from your word as well. Just may their hearts be soft and prepared. And Father, we love you. We pray that you would be our teacher, that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. We ask all these things in your holy and your precious name, and all God's people said, Amen. Well, last week we began John chapter 1, and John is the fourth of the Gospels as the way they're written in the Word. And we know that last week I titled the message that Jesus is God. A lot of people out there today have a different picture of who Jesus Christ is. They say he's you know, Michael the archangel, or he's the brother of, of Lucifer, or he's the most elevated of the gurus, or whatever it might be, and all those are lies. The reality is that Jesus Christ is God. He's God made manifest in the flesh. And last week we saw that he's the word, as he, that he always has been, that he always will be. Tyler shared the verse from John 1.1, 1, 1, that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then in 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus is the Word. He always has been. He always will be. He's Almighty God. We also saw last week that He is the light of the world, that He reveals truth, that He exposes darkness, and that He produces growth in the life of a believer. We also saw that He's the only begotten of the Father, not, not the firstborn of the Father, but unique, without precedence. There's nothing else like Him, before Him, or besides Him. We also saw last week that He is grace and truth, and as where Moses brings us the law, Jesus Christ brought us grace, and he brought us truth. Without Christ, the law condemns us to sin. The law makes us see that we are, are in desperate need of a Savior, but Jesus came to bring us hope. And then lastly, we saw that he was the declaration of God. But this morning, we're going to continue on through the Gospel of John, and we'll see more names and titles for our Savior, but we're also going to see how different people react to the Lord. How different people respond to Jesus Christ. Much like today, virtually everybody in this country, I would have to say everybody in this country, has been exposed to Jesus Christ. It's just a matter of how they respond to Him. And we're going to see that this morning, that that's nothing new. We're going to see this morning that He's the Lamb of God, that He's the Messiah, that He's the Son of God, He's the King of Israel, and He's the Son of Man. And it's interesting because we talked about this last week, that John's gospel emphasizes the deity of Jesus Christ. Matthew emphasized his fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy and that he's the Messiah. We saw Mark emphasize the fact that he's a suffering servant. And we know that Luke emphasized the fact that he was 100% man. He gave greater detail of his crucifixion than any other gospel. But John emphasizes the deity of Jesus Christ, that he truly is God. We're going to see John the Baptist this morning, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. He'll be talking about appointing others to Christ. We're going to see the religious leaders come and question our Savior, and we're going to see how they respond to Him. And then finally, we're going to see the disciples responding to Jesus, following Him, and bearing fruit by bringing others. So let's pick up in verse 19 of John chapter 1, beginning by looking at John the Baptist. I titled the message this morning, Come and See. Because that's what, those are the words we're going to hear from Jesus' mouth, and those are going to be the words we're going to hear from His followers. They're going to say, come and see, and then we're going to see the response of men. Verse 19. Now this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask Him, Who are you? 
John was questioned by the Jews. And these Jews, whenever you see in the book of John, or the Gospel of John, the Jews, it typically is pointing to the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin were like the supreme court of the religious leaders of the day. These guys would be like the most religious guys on the planet, and they would be the spiritual leaders of Jerusalem, or of all the Jews, of all of Israel. And they came out to question John the Baptist to find out who he was. And you know what? That's actually the right thing to do. They should come out and find out. If you're the religious leaders of the day, you should find out who is this guy who's out preaching in the wilderness, who's drawing these huge crowds. So they were called to investigate John and his ministry, and they did the right thing. And why, But you might want to ask, why would they want to find out who this John guy is? What is it? And I told you last week, I love John the Baptist. He was a man wandering in the wilderness. He was clothed in fur. He ate locust and honey. He was drawing large crowds. He taught, and many had been baptized. And even though he hadn't performed miracles, many began to believe that he was the Messiah. And so the word got back to the Jews, and they said, we better go find out who this guy is. Let's send a contingency out there, and let's ask John who are you? And they wanted to know if he was the Messiah. Now, they had been looking for the Messiah for hundreds of years. You have to realize that when John came, there had been no prophetic word for 400 years. And they were waiting for the Messiah, but sadly, they were waiting for the wrong kind of a Messiah. The kind of Messiah they were looking for was one who would come in and overthrow Rome and put them in power. They were looking for a God or a Messiah who would bless them in the here and now. Much like many people today. They want to come to God if God will give them stuff. You know, God, I'll sign up for your program if you'll give me a better job. You know, God, I'll sign up if you'll bring me a babe for a wife. Lord, I'm all over it. I'll go to church, okay? Lord, if you'll bless me and let me win the lottery, I'll be at Mass on Sunday, right? I mean, people have that kind of an idea about God, and that's kind of how the Jews were. They were looking for a God to come and give them stuff in the here and the now. And so we see that they come to him and they begin to question him. Now sadly, they had the law and the prophets that had given them over 200 prophecies about who the Messiah would be. And we know that they come out and they're going to ask him questions and look at the response of John, verse 20. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Amen. You know, there are two undeniable facts. There is a God and you're not him. Amen. And you never will be. You're not going to be God. You're not going to become God one day of your own planet, much like the the Mormons would teach. That's not going to happen. You are a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. Amen? Just like me. And Jesus Christ alone is God. And there are no other gods before Him or beside Him. And so John the Baptist very clearly, even though he was drawing huge crowds, even though many people were coming unto him, as soon as they questioned him, he said, look, I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah you're looking for. Don't come after me. There's one coming, verse 21. And they asked him then, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he said, no. Elijah, it's prophesied in the Old Testament that there would be one who would come in the spirit of Elijah before the Messiah, that great coming day of the Lord. And we know that Elijah was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus Christ, and it's believed that he will be one of the two witnesses. But the Bible also says in Luke that John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah, which meant he had the same heart, the same passion, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Verse 22, then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? You're not the Christ, you're not the prophet, you're Elijah, so who are you? And when we go back, what should we tell them about you? And again, 
John the Baptist is not trying to exalt himself. Here's what he says. And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, making straight the way of the Lord. John knew who he was, and he knew exactly what he was all about. He was the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 9, which was, which uh, somebody quoted, it's Isaiah 40 verse 3, excuse me, where he says, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. God said that he would send a forerunner, a best man, someone who would go before him and prepare people's hearts for the coming of the Messiah. I've shared the wedding analogy with you many times, so I'll make it brief. In Jewish tradition, when somebody was going to get married, the way it worked was that the, the marriage was arranged, which having a 14-year-old daughter, I don't think that's a bad idea. But the marriage was arranged, and they would bring the two together, and then they would betrothed, be betrothed to one another, and the groom would give the bride a gift to say, this is my promise to you that you and I now are one. And then he would go away and he would prepare a place, and when the place was made ready, his father would come and inspect it and say, it is indeed ready for your bride, and the best man would run before him and shout through the city, he's coming, he's coming, get ready, the groom's coming. The bride often would sleep in the same room with her bridesmaids or have them nearby, and they'd jump up and get ready because they never knew what moment he would return for the bride. Now, we know that's a very clear picture of Jesus Christ because when we've been betrothed to him, amen, and he gave us a gift, and the gift he gave us, the down payment on heaven, is the Holy Spirit. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. He stamps his ownership on your heart, and you belong to him. And he's gone away, and what's he doing? He's preparing a place for us, amen? And you know what? He's coming back, and we don't know when, and as his bride, we need to be ready because he could come at any moment. Amen? And running before him are the prophets. Those saying, make way. The word of God. Be ready. And so we see here, John the Baptist is that best man. He's making that way. He's preparing people. But I want to say this about John the Baptist, because if anybody could have been arrogant from a spiritual perspective, it was this guy. Do you know what Jesus said about John the Baptist? He said, of men born among women, there's never been anybody greater than John the Baptist. That's what Jesus said. Now, if Jesus says that about you, that's pretty awesome, right? And so John could have said, hey, Jesus said, I'm the greatest of anybody ever born, right? Now, he could have said that, but he didn't say that. Even though it also said that he was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Even before he was born, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was the fulfillment of prophecy. He was Jesus' cousin. In Luke 1.17, it says, He will also go before him in power and the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John knew he was simply a voice and had nothing to say about himself. All he had to say about himself was, I must decrease that he might increase. There's got to be less of me that there could be more of him. The only way there can be more of God in your life is there's got to be less of you. Less of your will, less of your passions, less of your desires. And when we, we die to self, there's more of Him. It's interesting that He refers to Himself as a voice. You can't see a voice. Amen? And if we're going to be a voice for God, we need to be invisible. It can't be about us. We can't be drawing people unto ourselves. John understood that. You and I may never go through an identity crisis if we'll understand this. You know, a lot of people go through an identity or a midlife crisis trying to figure out who they are. You know, who am I? What's important about me? What has my life been about? 
If you will understand that you are simply a voice to point people to the Lord, you'll never have an identity crisis. You'll be a voice that talks about Christ, a voice that points others to Him, and you will worship Him in spirit. Our identities are not found in our jobs. They're not found in our, our financial position, our worldly possessions, or our popularity with men. You know what? Your identity isn't the, the thing that's on your business card. A lot of times we think that's our identity. You know, Dave Johnston, sales rep, right? Oh, that's what I am. You know, uh, or my house that you pull up into my driveway, here's my identity. Or the amount of numbers in my, my bank account. A lot of times we think those are the things that identify us, the kind of car that we drive. That's not our identity. That stuff is all chaff, it's all passing away, it's all temporary. Amen? When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And the only thing that matters is our identity in Him. John understood that. The crowds were gathering, but he didn't say, Wow, I'm a pretty awesome Bible teacher. Wow, I'm just the most... Jesus even said, I'm the greatest. You know what? We need to have... We need to put up a tent. Let's start having the worldwide ministry. Let's put up some banners all about... It's John the Baptist, right? And we could have this big... He didn't do that. Instead, what did he do? He said, there's got to be less of me and more of him. I must decrease that he might increase. You want to be great in God's kingdom, you learn to be the servant of all. And John the Baptist said, the last thing I want to do is get in the way. I just want to take people and bring them to Jesus. You know that that's my heart as your pastor. I just want to take people and bring them to Jesus. Pastor's job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I want you guys to just fall in love with our Savior and be so in love with Him that you're contagious to a world that is so desperately in need of Him. That was John the Baptist's heart. You know what? Instead of grumbling about your job, instead of grumbling about your living situation, instead of being bummed out about your circumstances, say, you know what? My identity is in Christ. And God's put me where He's put me for a reason. And I'm going to be salt and light to this place. I'm going to be an example for him. I'm going to be so in love with him that people are going to want to know what's different about me. And you know what? I'm going to just take people and bring them to the Savior. That was John the Baptist's heart. Look at verse 25. Or verse 24, excuse me. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? You know, since John said, I'm just a voice. The Jews said, wait a minute, then by what authority are you doing these things? Because in those days, the Jews would only baptize Gentiles that wanted to become Jews. Those are the only people they baptized. Because they said, well, you're a Gentile, which means you're a dirty dog, right? And because you're a Gentile dog, then if you're going to become a Jew, then you need to be cleansed that you might become a Jew. So they only baptized Gentiles that wanted to become Jews. They come out and guess what they found? They found John the Baptist baptizing Jews. Because you know what? The Jews needed to be born again too. Amen? And we're all sinners in need of a Savior. And they come out and say, well, wait a minute. If you're not the Christ and you're not Elijah and you're not the prophet, how in the world is it that you're baptizing people? Now, I'm blown away because I think some of you know I just went to Israel. I was just 10 days ago, you know, sitting right near the spot in the Jordan River where John would baptize people. And it's awesome to me that this is out in the wilderness. It's not the popular spot you go to where they baptize people today, but there's this wilderness and there's a little spot of the Jordan River out in the middle of nowhere. And that's where they believe that it happened, where Jesus was baptized, because surrounding it was wilderness. And we know that right after Jesus was baptized, he went up into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. But it's awesome to me that people were coming in droves to hear the message John the Baptist had. And the message that he had was to point people to Jesus. Verse 26. 
John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there stands among you, among you whom you do not know. It is he coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. John made it clear he was not establishing a new religion. He made it clear that he wasn't trying to exalt himself. He said, you know what? I'm nobody. I'm just a voice crying out in the wilderness. I'm just somebody who's been sent by God to point people to God. And he said to them, you know, I want you to find out the one who is coming. There's one coming after me that's greater than me. He said, I can't even reach down and loosen his sandal. That was the job of the lowest of all the servants, was to clean the feet and loosen the sandals of people that walked in that day. You know, in that day, they didn't have concrete, you know, the way we do. They walked in the dirt quite often, and people's feet were pretty grungy. And so the lowest job you could have is when your master came in off a long trip to bend down and loosen his sandal and then wash and clean his feet. That would be like, you know, the entry-level job at Burger King. You know what I mean? You got the, you're the guy working in the grease over there, right? And maybe one of these days you can become the fry guy or whatever. Well, th- now that's how this was. You were the guy that had to come in and right off, you were cleaning the feet. And he said, you know what? I'm not even worthy to clean the feet of the one who comes after me. He wasn't talking about how anointed he was. He wasn't talking about how great and how gifted he was. You know what? If you go to a church and the pastor's telling you how wonderful he is, it's time to run. Amen? You know what? We're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. If you don't think I'm a sinner, just ask my wife, right? Ask my kids. Ask my coworkers, right? I blow it. I'm a sinner. I'm just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. And you know, that is so important that John the Baptist understood that and said, there's one coming after me that I'm not even worthy to loosen his sandal strap. I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with something much greater than that. The Bible says, may we not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. You know what? What got Lucifer thrown out of heaven? Pride. What got Adam and Eve thrown out of the Garden of Eden? Pride. Remember? You can be like the Most High God if you eat this. Oh, pride. And what will keep us from being effective for the kingdom of God? Pride. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit for the fall. And you know what? It'll keep you from being faithful and effective for the kingdom of God when you start to think of yourself more highly than you ought. We must decrease that He might increase. Amen? None of us died on the cross. None of us created the worlds. None of us spoke the stars into the sky. And none of us should be touching His glory. Amen? To Him alone be the glory and the honor and the praise. Verse 28. Then these things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, when John was baptized. Now, this is the place that we drove by, and on my Israel trip, we were there so quick, we drove by, and he goes, yeah, right, that's Bethabara right over there. That's where Jesus was baptized, and that's where John baptized people, and that's where the wilderness, and so we drove by. When we go back, we're going to stop there and have a Bible study. We're going to have a little more time. But it was a wilderness place. And so out in the middle of the wilderness, God was, had this voice. And you may feel like you're out in the wilderness in your workplace or in your neighborhood. You might feel like you're the only one. But understand, that was John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a voice crying out in the wilderness, but it doesn't mean that we become quiet because nobody's listening right at the moment. We just need to be faithful and know that God is the one who will bring the, in, the increase. You know what? And this is, again, near the very place where Jesus would be tempted. May you and I have the heart of John the Baptist, bold, faithful, and humble in the midst of difficulty. When things get tough, just keep loving God. Keep pointing people to Jesus. That's why we're here. Amen? Point them to the Savior. Now we're going to move from John the Baptist to him speaking about another title for our Savior. And this is an awesome title, and I I pray that you just don't miss this. 
He is the Lamb of God. And I want you to understand that this is the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament when they make this statement. In the entire Old Testament, everything was pointing to the coming Messiah, that Lamb of God who would come. The Lamb is the theme of all the Old Testament Scripture. In Genesis 22, most of you remember the story of Abraham and Isaac. Remember Isaac, Abraham was bringing his only son, who was probably, people think he was a little boy, he was not. If you look in Scripture, he was probably in his 30s. And he's taking his son, the son he's waited for his entire life, the promised one through whom the Messiah is going to come, through whom all of Israel is going to be blessed. And the Lord tells him, I want you to take your son up on Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And he carries his son, and his son is, they're bringing the wood, and they've got the fire, and Isaac says to his dad, Dad, here's the fire, and here's the wood, but where's the lamb? And that's the Old Testament question. Where's the lamb? And we know that it says that Abraham later, as he's holding up the knife, prepared to give his only son unto the Lord out of obedience to God, that God stops him and says, Abraham, now I know you'll hold nothing back from me. And it says God provided for himself a sacrifice. And he ultimately would provide himself as a sacrifice. Amen? And so the Old Testament question is, where is the lamb? We also saw that on the Day of Atonement, One of the things that that happened, we've been studying this on Wednesday nights, that the sacrifice of a spotless, perfect, firstborn lamb, the high priest, again, another picture of Christ, would enter into that most holy place, and he would bring the blood of a firstborn lamb, and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. We also know at Passover. Passover is in remembrance of the deliverance out of bondage in Egypt. What did they do? They slayed a firstborn lamb, and they took its blood, and they put it on the top and the sides and the foot of the of the door, so that the angel of death might pass over. And every Passover, they would remember it by going back and having the same ritual. Now, what is that a picture of? Blood on the top and both sides and at the feet. It's a picture of the cross. Our Savior was pierced in His hands, crown of thorns upon His head, and He was pierced in His feet. And so they're, they're killing this lamb at Passover. They're killing the lamb on the Day of Atonement. And every single day in the temple, morning and evening, they sacrificed a lamb. One in the morning and one in the evening every single day in the temple on the altar, along with all the other lambs that were being brought by individuals. So there's no doubt that this is significant, the lamb. The lamb is the one that's being slain over and over and over and over again. And so this is the the question of the Old Testament. Where is the lamb? In the Old Testament, it's where is the lamb? In the New Testament, it's behold the lamb. And you know what's awesome? In heaven, we're going to be singing, Worthy is the Lamb. Amen? And so it goes from, where is the Lamb to behold the Lamb? And so when he says this, I'm taking time to help you understand this, because this is extremely significant, that every person standing there that would hear John's words would know exactly what he was talking about. If you were a Jew in those days, a lamb was a huge part of your life. You're always out looking for that firstborn spotless lamb. You were constantly, and they would bring it into their home and have it in their home for four days to inspect it to make sure it was perfect. And then they would have to take that little lamb and slit its throat. You want to talk about heavy. And this was happening all the time. And it was, they knew that this was a picture but they didn't fully understand what it was a picture of until John spoke. Lastly, before we look at the next verse, lambs were slaughtered in Genesis first for an individual, Abel. 
Abel slaughtered a lamb, the first one we see in the Bible. Secondly, we saw it in Exodus when lambs were slaughtered for a household at Passover. Then in Leviticus, we saw that lambs were slaughtered for a nation. And now look at verse 29 and look what it says. And it says, And the next day John saw Jesus coming and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It went from an individual to a household to a nation, and now Jesus Christ came and suffered and died for all of mankind. Amen? It is a desire that none should perish, no, not one. And when he said, behold the Lamb of God, all those years of sacrifice, hundreds of years, actually thousands of years of bringing the sacrifices into the temple, here's the, here's the answer. You've been wondering, where is the Lamb? Behold the Lamb. Here He is. Here's the sacrifice that's going to be paid. And it says here, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's the Jesus Christ that we serve. Jesus Christ is God. Amen? And He is the Lamb. No one else is the Lamb. Amen? No one else could pay the price. No one else could suffer and die that we might have eternal life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Me. It's Christ alone. Verse 30. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now this doesn't make any sense from a physical perspective. Let me tell you about the one who's coming after me who was before me. He was born after me, but he was before me. That makes no sense. How can someone be born after you and yet be before you? We know that John the Baptist was born several months before Jesus. So how could Jesus be before him? The answer is John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. Jesus always has been. He is not a created being. I know that Pastor Dave is being real elementary with John chapter 1 with you guys. But let me tell you why. Because we cannot have any doubt about who Jesus Christ is. This is non-negotiable. This is not something we can debate or struggle with or have different opinions about. He must be God. And He is God. Amen? whether you believe it or not. So that, I, I know I'm just being real repetitive with this, but I want you to know that you know that you know who Jesus Christ is, that He alone is God and that He always has been. Verse 31, I did not know Him, but that He should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. Jesus, uh, John came baptizing that Jesus would be revealed to Israel. Now, baptism, why would, why would He be baptizing? And why would He ultimately baptize Jesus? Why baptism? And wait a minute, why do we need baptism? I mean, Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, didn't he? So that means the price has been paid, and we don't have to be baptized to be saved. So why baptism? Let me tell you why. Baptism is an outward statement of an inward change. It's a picture of the death burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian this morning and you've given your life to the Lord, praise God. But you know what? If you haven't been baptized, you need to be. Now, you don't need to be to be saved. You don't need to be to go to heaven, okay? But you should out of your love for Him. It's, I want to be identified with Jesus Christ. I want the whole world to know that He's my Savior and I'm in love with Him. I identify it much like a wedding ring. I wear my ring because I want the world to know that I'm married, that I love my wife, that she and I have become one. And you know what? It's an outward statement of an inward commitment. And so too is baptism. And when Jesus came and they baptized Jesus, they're baptizing Him a picture of what was going to happen, that He was going to suffer and die, 
and then later he was going to be resurrected from the dead, triumphing over sin and death. Again, a clear picture why Jesus came, to be that sacrificial Lamb of God, that through His death that we alone, that we could be cleansed only through His death. Verse 32 and 33. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and He remained upon Him. And I did not know Him, but He who sent Him, sent me to baptize with water, said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on Him, this is He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now, in Matthew's account, you see a perfect picture of the Trinity at Jesus' baptism. Most of you know and remember it, but let me just read this to you real quick. It says in Matthew 3, verse 16 and 17, When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. This is how we know he was submerged. This is how we know the baptism was immersion, right? He came up from the water. And it says, As he came up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And, a sudden, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So when Jesus was baptized, as he came up, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and then sky opened up, and the voice came from heaven, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. A perfect picture of the Trinity. You've got God the Son, the Holy Spirit descending upon Him, and God the Father speaking from heaven. Now, there's only one God, and I know it gives you a headache to know there's one God, but how could He be in heaven, and how could He be Jesus manifested, and how could He be the Holy Spirit, and how can He be everywhere at once, and still, He's God, He created time, He created space, we're finite man trying to understand infinite God, but let me just tell you, He's even greater than you think. No matter how great you think He is, no matter how awesome you think He is, He's way more awesome than that, and that's the God that we serve. And you know what? That blesses me when I'm struggling with stuff. When I'm going through a difficulty and I realize that I'm coming to the Creator of the universe who's way more greater than, than, I, than I can even imagine or think, it sure takes the, the stress away, doesn't it? You know what, God? You spoke the stars into the sky. You can take care of my finances. Amen? You know what? Lord, you know I've been diagnosed with this. You know that I'm not feeling well, but God, you're the great physician. I trust you. Praise God. That's the God that we serve. He's the Lamb of God. And He's Almighty God, who always has been and always will be. And so we see a perfect picture of the Trinity at the baptism. And it's interesting, those of you who have been coming again on Wednesday nights, that a couple weeks ago we saw Aaron and his sons consecrated to be the high priests. The first high priest ever. And do you remember how they consecrated him? They did three things to the high priest. One, they washed him in water. A picture of Jesus' baptism. Then they anointed them with oil. What is oil a typology or picture of in the Bible? Holy Spirit. So they were washed in water, then they were anointed with oil. A picture of the Holy Spirit. And as we see when Jesus was baptized, what happened? He was washed in water, and when He came up, the Holy Spirit descended upon Him. And then lastly, they took blood and they put blood on their ears, on their thumbs, and on their feet. That their actions would be sanctified. But I believe that blood that was placed upon them is also a picture of our Savior who went to the cross. He is the great high priest. And we see hundreds of years earlier a picture of Him in the way the high priest was anointed. Verse 34. Excuse me, verse 33. I did not know Him, and again, it says, He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. You know what? 
Some baptize with water, but He's going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit is the down payment on heaven. It's how you know that you've been born again. Verse 34, And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Repeatedly we see people referring to Jesus as the Son of God. John the Baptist does it. God the Father did it at the baptism. And we, we know and can believe and trust that that's exactly who He is. So He's the Lamb of God. He's the perfect Lamb of God. How could the Jews have missed the Messiah? How could you be at the baptism of of Jesus Christ? Someone says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You're standing right there. You see the Holy Spirit descending upon Him like a dove. The sky opens up and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And you go back home and you don't follow Jesus. How in the world does that happen? How is that even possible? But you know what? That's what happened. People stood there. They watched it, and most of them went home. And why? Because they were looking for a Messiah who would give them stuff here and now. Well, all right, so you're the Lamb of God. So, how, you know, are you going to hook me up with, with a good-looking babe or what? I mean, you know, what are you going to do for me? I mean, hey, uh, I'm running a little short. I mean, I'm living in a tiny little place. I'm thinking I'm, castle's looking good to me. Could you help me out with that? And see, people were coming for a Messiah who would give them stuff. And so when Jesus came and He was the Lamb of God, the suffering servant, most walked away and did not follow Him. So sad. How is it that people today do not get it when it comes to Jesus Christ? Are you ever frustrated with that? Raise your hand. You tell people about the Lord. Duh! I mean, who is He? What's the date today? Well, it's 2002. 2002 years since what? Oh, uh, I don't know. Since Jesus, right? Well, yeah, I guess so. I mean, and you know what? Hey, you know, man, you just want to shake him. Man, my life's a bummer, man. I just don't understand what life's about. It's about Jesus. He came and suffered and died that you might have eternal life. Hello, McFly, right? You want to, you want to hit him in the head? And they don't get it. And it, the same is true thousands of years ago. They're standing there. The sky opens up. This is my beloved son. And who am I? Oh, let's go, have a, let's go have a bagel, right? I mean, let's go home. And they went home. And they didn't receive him. But the good news is not everybody was that way. Because the disciples would follow him. And look what happens with his first disciples. Look at verse 35. Again the next day John stood with two of his disciples. We know these to be John who wrote this gospel and Andrew. So John the Baptist had men who followed him and were listening to what he taught. And they stood near him. And Jesus comes, and they're standing near John the Baptist, the one who's discipling them. And he says to them in verse 36, And looking at Jesus, as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And look what happens. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Now everybody else went home. But this time, those who've been discipled by John the Baptist, those who wanted to know the truth, when Jesus came... He said, Behold the Lamb of God. And they didn't hang on to John the Baptist. They went after Jesus. Amen? They weren't holding on to their pastor. They weren't holding on to their denomination or their church. They were clinging to the Lord. And they went after Him. They followed Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God. We make all these sacrifices. This is the one? Is this it, John? They followed Him. And that's the sign of somebody who's truly given their life to the Lord. It had fallen on deaf ears with the religious leaders. But John's disciples responded much differently. And again, what does John do? He's pointing people to Jesus. What is true ministry? True ministry is drawing people closer to the Lord. That's what it is. It's bringing people closer to Jesus. Not creating followers for yourself, 
but pointing people to the Lord. These disciples understood the significance of it, and they followed the Lord. Verse 38. Now, I want you to notice this. This is they followed Jesus. Do you notice they didn't say, so Jesus, what does this gig pay anyway? I mean, you know, what, what kind of 401k plan do you got working? I mean, what kind of stuff are you going to give me if I follow you? It didn't do any of that. They said, Lord, you're, you're the son of, you're the lamb of God. I'm following. I'm following. Where are you going? I want to be where you are. Now look at the first words of our Savior. These are the first words of our Savior in his public ministry. We know at age 12 he had done ministry. But in his public ministry, after being baptized, what are the first words that he says? Verse 38. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following said, What do you seek? Now why would Jesus have the first words of his ministry be, What do you seek? Because there are many different answers. They could have said, I'm looking for a king to deliver us. They could have said, I'm looking for a revolutionary leader who will overthrow Rome. I'm, I'm looking for a wife. I'm looking for a husband. I'm looking for a better job. I'm looking for financial stability. What do you seek? When you come to Jesus Christ this morning, what do you seek? Do you come to church on Sunday because you were bad all week and you think you probably ought to go so that you'll feel better? A lot of people go to church for that reason. Well, I was bad this week. Oh, I better go to church. I'll get a brownie point for all the bad things I did. Well, there it is. Scale will you know, start leaning a little bit more in my favor if I go to church. Church should never be a have to. You shouldn't come out of contrition. You shouldn't come because you, you feel like if you do, then God will love you more. Let me know that God loves you. God loves you so very much. What do you seek? You know the Bible says? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Amen? Seek God first. Desire Him above all else. And I love their answer. Look what they say. They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? What are you seeking? They said, Lord, we want to be with you. Where are you going? That's what I want. I want to be near you. I want to spend time with you. I want to hang out with you. Can I be one of your disciples? Can, can I just be with you? Can I, can I get to know you? When we come to church on Sunday, we ought to come with that heart. Lord, I just want to be near you. Lord, I want to worship you and tell you that I love you. I want to draw near to you. I want to, I want to, Lord, I want to be your disciple. I want to follow after you. Not coming to church, Lord, give me, Lord, make me, Lord, let me have stuff. But coming saying, Lord, I just want to draw near to you. I want to become more like you. I want to be one of your followers. Verse 39, and he said to them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. What did Jesus say? What was his first words of, of calling somebody? It was come and see. And all who come to Jesus by faith will find out who he really is. They began to follow him and they never left. Come and see. And they went. Now remember, there are going to be many times we're going to hear those same words, but the response will not always be the same. A true follower of Christ will never be satisfied with just having a passing touch of His. If you truly love the Lord, an hour with Him on Sunday will never be enough. Amen? An hour on Sunday and an hour on Wednesday will never be enough. You want intimacy. Lord, I just want you to be my best friend. I want to walk with you. I want to spend my life with you. I want to have a relationship with you that's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's Christianity. Amen? Christianity is not like joining the Elks Club. Right? You go down there for two hours a week and you pay your dues. That's not Christianity. Christianity is a relationship with the creator of the universe. And they followed him. And they wanted intimacy with him. Verse 40. 
and 41. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. You know what? When you truly fall in love with Jesus Christ, guess what happens? You start becoming contagious and you start bearing fruit. Look what it says here. It says they ran. They heard about the Lord and what did he do? He ran to find his brother. Simon! Simon, we found him. We found the answer. Everything we've been looking for. We found him. We found the Messiah. I love that. He found his brother, the one he cared about most, and he testified of Jesus Christ. We found the Messiah, the Savior, the one we've all been looking for. And verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus. So not only did he run out and tell him about the Lord, but he brought him to the Lord. And you know what? The Bible says, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And if we're not fishing, we're not following. Amen? The Lord desires that we would bring others to him. It's not the, you know, I'm a Christian, I got the get out of hell free card in my wallet, and now I'm just going to sit back and wait till Jesus comes back. That's not someone who's in love with the Lord. If you're in love with the Lord, you want everybody else to know about the Lord. If you've been cured of cancer and somebody gave you a pill that worked, wouldn't you be down at the cancer ward trying to give one to everybody else down there? That's what happens. We, were, we had the cancer of sin, and we've been born again. And we should be running to a lost world saying, come and see, and bringing them to the Savior. Look, this is the one. This is the answer. This is why we live. You ever watch TV, these, these talk shows? They sit around and talk about trying to figure out what life's all about. And it's one word, Jesus. I, went, I yelled at the screen half the time. Well, I don't know what you're going to do. Oh, this is difficult. I don't, yeah, well, that's a difficult problem. Oh, well, what do you think? Oh, here's Joe Psychology. Oh, what do, you, what do you think? And they all sit around and talk and they get all done. Well, hope it works out. And everybody just goes home with the same problem they came with, right? They made a bunch of money on commercials and everybody cried and they went home and they had no hope. And the reality is that it's Jesus, amen? You guys need the Lord. Come and see. Bring them to the Lord because that's the only place they're going to find hope. And I want you to see this about Andrew. It says, now when Jesus looked at him, he said to him, you are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. Simon's name means shifting sand. And Jesus said, you're going to be Peter, a stone. You're no longer going to be shifting sand, but you're going to be a stone. But we know that Peter's got about three years of training in him before he becomes the rock. Amen? But the Lord saw him for who he was going to be. And as the Lord looks at us, he sees us for who we're going to be one day. He knows already because he's God. But I want you to notice, Andrew in the Bible, he never preaches a sermon. Now, he may have preached them, but there's none recorded in the Bible. But that guy's always bringing people to Jesus. And I know people like that. They're always like, you know what, dude, what are you doing Sunday? You got to come, you know, come to church, man. Hey, you know, we had a Friday Bible study. You have bre- come have breakfast with us, man. And, you know, and there's people that are like that. And, you know, praise God, there are many of you that are saved because somebody loved you that was like that. Why don't you come with me? Why don't you come and see? And they brought people to the Savior. And that's what Andrew does. We had, used to have a thing in youth group called Operation Andrew. And what we would do is, I'd get the kids on our prayer meetings on Wednesday night, and we'd write down the name of ten kids that they wanted to see come know Christ. And we would pray for all of them by name every week. And I would encourage them, pray for an opportunity to invite them to youth group. 
And you know what? We saw our youth group grow from a small amount of kids to a ton of kids in a short amount of time. And much of it was because kids were praying for kids by name. Then they'd go to school and they'd say, oh, that's the one I've been praying for for three weeks. Maybe today's the day. And the person would come, man, you ought to come with me to youth group. Okay. And they bring them to youth group and the kid gets saved. Now they got their own Operation Andy and they're writing down 10 names. And you know, that's the way the church ought to be. Bringing people to Jesus. Amen. Not sitting on our duff on the cruise ship to heaven. But knowing that there are people that still need the Lord. Hey, we're in, the, we're in the lifeboat. We should be worried about the people that are still out there floundering. So again, Peter or Andrew was constantly bringing people to Jesus. Lastly, we're almost done. Verse 43, The following day Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and He found Philip, and He said to him, Follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So He says to him two words, Follow me. Again, I don't see any negotiations about what the job pays. I, don't, I just see him, follow me. Philip, we know later, we'll find out as a fisherman. Follow me. Leave your boats, leave your nets, leave your stuff. Follow me. Make me first. Make me first. And we know, look what happens with Philip. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Not only did he follow the Lord, but then he ran and told others, Come and see. You've got to come and see. We found the one we've been looking for. Are there people in this world desperate for the answer of what life is all about? You can probably think of ten people right off the top of your head right now that you know that's the case. They, they, what is the answer? Where do I find hope? We've got it. Amen? And it's not us. It's Him. But we can bring people to Him. And you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to have the entire Bible memorized. You don't have to know the Greek and the Hebrew. Right? You can just love people and share with them the love of God. You can tell them your testimony of how He impacted your life. And you can all say, come and see. Come and see. He's a loving and a gracious and a merciful God. Now look how Nathaniel responds. And Nathaniel said to him, verse 46, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, what did he say? Come and see. Can any good thing come? Now Nazareth, it's funny because if you look it up in the original language, it means sprout town. That's what it says. I looked it up. It says Sprout Town. Now, can you imagine, you know, what good thing is going to come out of Sprout Town? Nazareth was out of the way. It was a little dirty, dingy place. People said it was a dirty place. You know, uh, I can't do it. You pick any city, you're going to offend somebody, so I won't do it. But, you know, you know, be like somebody, oh, you came from, you know, Dirtville, you know. What good thing can come out of Dirtville? I mean, that's what he's saying about Jesus. And what does he say? Come and see. I want you to come and see him, Nathaniel. Now we know that Jesus was, the Bible said he would be born, the, the baby would be born in Bethlehem. That's where Jesus was born. But he was called a Nazarene. And a Nazarene was looked down upon. They were viewed as dirty and, and low people. And I know that our Savior, everything he did, he did on purpose. And he was looked down upon because he wanted us to know that he can relate to every one of us. Amen? No matter where you've come from, no matter how difficult your life's been, our Savior can understand, and he loves you guys. A few more verses. Verse 49. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said to him, Behold, an Israelite, indeed, in whom there is no guile. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael's doubting. Nathanael says, What good thing can come out of Dirtville? What good thing can come out of Sprout Town? What good thing can come out of Nazareth? And he's coming to the Lord, and the Lord looks at him and says, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no guile. How do you, 
how do you know me? When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now it's interesting, the fig tree is a representation of Israel. And in those days when rabbis taught their students, they would literally go and sit under a fig tree typically to study. And it could even be that Nathaniel was sitting under the tree studying the Old Testament. And as he was studying there, the Lord saw him. And those who are seeking after God, the Lord sees. And he draws them unto himself. And when we come to him, he already knows who we are. And he that knows you best loves you most. He knows every wicked, vile thing you've ever done. And he loves you more than anybody else has ever loved you. Isn't that a great God? Amen? He doesn't love you because you're perfect. If he did, we'd all just go home and watch the Niner game because it's game over. We're in trouble, right? But he knows everything and he loves us anyway. What a great and an awesome God that we serve. Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. The third time in this morning's text, we know that God the Father said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Then we heard John the Baptist say, he's the Son of God. And now we hear it being said one more time, you are the Son of God. And that's exactly who Jesus Christ is. You're the Son of God. Then he says, you are the King of Israel. Nathaniel, had God, God had been revealed to him, and he, wow, that's who you are. And you know, some of you can point back to the day when that happened to you. When you came to know who Jesus was, the veil was moved from your eyes, and you went, whoa! How many of you remember the day you got saved? Raise your hand. And do you remember how excited you were? Do you remember how you went home and, you know, guess what? Gave my life to Jesus over the weekend, right? And now we dial it down a little bit. Well, I've been a Christian a while, a little more mature than that. I'm not a new believer, you know, hey, I've been a Christian for a while. I don't have to be so excited about it anymore, right? But you know what? I love new believers. I love the zeal that they have, and that we ought to be that way, amen? I mean, you were excited when you met your wife and you were courting her, right, guys? Hopefully, you're as excited now as you were 15 years ago, right? You know, when you met her before, yeah, I want you to meet her, dude. You got to come meet her. Now it's like, yeah, my, yeah, that's my wife over there parking the car. I mean, it shouldn't be that way. Shouldn't be that way, right? And the same is true of the Lord. We should be as excited today as we were the day that we got saved. We should have that zeal and that, that desire. You know what? You're the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. He's saying, he's saying Nathaniel, you ain't seen nothing yet. You just wait. You come walk with me and wait until you see what you're going to see. I just told you I saw you under a fig tree. You're going to see me walk on water. You're going to see me feed the 5,000. You're going to see me heal the lame man and the blind man. And you're going to see me cure the leper. But you know what's even more awesome than all of them? You're going to see me raised from the dead on the third day. You know what, guys? If you've been walking with the Lord, keep walking with Him because you ain't seen nothing yet. Amen? God still wants to do more in our lives. He wants to use us to impact the world around us. Our God is awesome. And you know what? We ought to be excited and thrilled to let people know that He's our Lord and our Savior and our God. Last verse. And He said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angel of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. You know, it says there's Jacob's ladder in the Old Testament. And you see the angels ascending and descending from heaven. And you know what? That's who God is. The Bible says that He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Him. Jesus descended that we might ascend. Amen? He descended to earth and came to earth and lived a perfect sinless life and suffered and died that you and I might be able to go to heaven. And praise God. The worship team will come on back up. I know we've gone a little long today because of the, 
the program. I appreciate your patience. So in review, Jesus is God. Amen? He's the Word. He's the light. He's the only begotten of the Father. He is grace and truth, and He's the declaration of God. He's the Lamb of God. The fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah, which means anointed one. He's the Son of God, as was spoken by John the Baptist, the Father, and Nathaniel just in this chapter. He's the King of Israel. He's the Son of Man. And again, praise God for Him. Praise God that He he is God and that He loves us. Now, for you guys, John the Baptist was a voice of one crying in the wilderness, and there was none greater. He sought only to draw people to Jesus. While the religious leaders missed the Messiah, the disciples did not. They responded to Jesus and came when He called. They proved their faith by becoming contagious and bearing fruit. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Have you responded when He said to you, come and see? Have you responded when He said, come and follow me? And if you have, have you become contagious? Are you somebody who is bearing much fruit? Because of what He's done in your life, are you somebody who's running out and telling a lost and dying world, come and see? May we be those people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that You love us so much that You're willing to suffer and die that we might have eternal life. And we thank You, Lord, that You called us, Lord, and it originated with You. And Father, I pray if there's anybody here who has never responded to that call, that, Lord, they would do that this morning. Lord, just by simply saying, yes, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Lord, we just ask that You would draw them unto Yourself. You know, I hadn't planned to do this, but just real quickly, if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I'm just going to ask you to do something real simple. Every head bowed, just be praying. If you're here and you say, you know what, I've never responded to that, and I want to know for sure that I'm going to heaven. The Bible says if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. It's just simply saying, yes, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. He's saying, follow me. Will you follow him? If you've never made that public commitment... All I want you to do is raise your hand. I'll pray a simple prayer with you. Is there anybody here this morning? Don't let the enemy win. Is there anybody here? God brought you here by divine appointment. Anybody at all? God bless you. God bless you, brother. Anybody else? God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. Anybody else? Praise the Lord. God is a faithful God. Is there anybody else? The Bible says all the angels in heaven rejoice when one person comes to know Christ. Is there anybody else? With all of you, pray with me as we pray out loud. Let's all pray together this prayer of repentance. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning and I confess that I'm a sinner. I confess that I need you as my Savior. I believe that you are God. That you came and suffered and died. You took my place on the cross. And you rose from the dead. I believe by confessing my sin that I'm forgiven. Thank you for forgiving me. For making me your child. Help me to walk with you. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And Lord, I just pray also for those here who do know you already, that, Father, you'd help us to be contagious. We thank you, Lord, for the fruit of this morning. We thank you for these who've raised their hands, Father God. I pray, Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you continue to walk with them and draw them unto yourself. And, Lord, that we would just love them as these new members of your family, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. You're such a great and an awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said...
Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song. God is so good.